You're a little older and a lot wiser. The future is yours. Define aging on your own terms. Welcome to AARP Without Limits with your host, Mike Olander. Hello and welcome. This is AARP Without Limits, WPTF Talk Radio Disrupting Aging with the Power of 50,000 Watts. And our podcast available anytime on demand at WPTF.com or Facebook, AARP North Carolina. I'm your host, Mike Olander of AARP North Carolina, and we've got a great show for you today. Chris Brandenburg of AARP North Carolina is back with us to give us an update on what is going on in the General Assembly, especially those items important to older North Carolinians. Now, for those of you familiar with the show, you know that normally at this point in the show, I would introduce our esteemed production engineer down here at WPTF, Mr. Jason Kong. But Jason's out enjoying spring break, or at least I hope he's enjoying it. He's, uh, I believe, painting his house. So (laughs) good luck there, Jason. Hope that's all going well. So it's just me kicking off the program today uh, by myself. And that's good because it's actually a reminder to me, Al, how important is the issue of social isolation and uh, the desperate measures that some may use to cope with all that comes with that. And um, folks, uh, I know all of us have had different experiences with COVID over the last three years. And yes, it has been three years since that started. And for a lot of us, you know, we experienced various levels of being isolated, whether it, is, whether it was just us with our family in our homes, not being able to go anywhere or travel, not being able to go to the office and work, or whether we are actually like by ourselves, completely physically living uh, alone. And I myself actually can speak to that a little bit. But, um, you know, for each of us, it was a different journey and each of us coped with things in a different way. And one thing is for certain, um, across the board for most people and certainly across the country and across businesses, there was uh, a pretty dramatic and noticeable loss in people's ability to use their soft skills. And being able to interact with each other, communicate, problem solve, cooperate, um, you know, use those things that you flex those muscles that uh, you typically use without even thinking when you're in in person. Um, And along with that also came a greater dependence. And I use that word really purposefully a greater dependence on things like social media, not only to get our information and our entertainment but actual companionship and a certain sense of uh, sense gratification. Um, And by that I mean is actual release of dopamine. So, you know, you're posting your status and you see, oh, somebody liked my comment or or my post and or my picture and they posted a comment or whatever it it, it might have been, right? Um, And then also the flip side to that, maybe if you posted an opinion about something, maybe about COVID or about politics or sports or whatever, and uh, you may have found yourself in a situation where you've got a lot of, <laughs> you, you've, you know, caused everybody to, to get all worked up and you got an argument right there on your Facebook page or something like that. One thing's for certain, though, um, uh, this uh, reliance on things other than each other has been a growing, growing problem. And there's been some news this week that uh, I'm sure some of you saw. That is very particularly alarming, alarming to a degree almost that I think folks might be thinking that we're actually in a movie, 
We might be even thinking about like the Terminator series. Um, and of course, I'm talking about AI, artificial intelligence. You might have noted in the news this past week, there was a letter signed by a number of people who are doing research and leading the work and, and, and really thought leaders on the development of uh, artificial intelligence, including people like uh, Elon Musk. And they signed on to a letter calling for a halt on the development of certain aspects of artificial intelligence. And I have to tell you folks, this is definitely something that is newsworthy. Um, I'm hoping we're not living through historic times right now with this news. I really do hope (laughs) that it's... uh, just folks, uh, you know, uh, 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 hitting the alarm bell prematurely, um, or at least being a little overly cautious in a way that won't prove itself to be historically consequential. But um, I have to say, you know, when you see Elon Musk and all these other thought leaders on this effort that they've been really pushing for for years, and you see agreement with not only President Biden but with countries like China. Uh, who have a real, you know, grip in their country on the uh, uh, use of information and, and and how folks get that? Um, I think it's 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 at the very least is a reason for us to give uh, some pause. Um, also in this news, or also in this in, in the week this uh, in the news this week was Google saying that despite all these alarm bells being raised, they are planning on proceeding with their plans to enter an AI chat feature to their search engine. Um, I was at an event this week. It was uh, kind of a luncheon, uh, not round table, a panel discussion, you could say, with some of the noted uh, state house journalists uh, to get an update on what's going on with the state legislative work and politics and, and all that good stuff. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, one of the reporters there had brought up AI and pretty casually mentioned that um, – there is going to be a day, and they're predicting within about five years, where most journalism is expected to be conducted by AI, and that only editing, sort of the last step editing, uh, will be done by human beings. And uh, this is, um, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we've all heard the term fake news in the last five years or so, and now we're talking artificial news, which is kind of an interesting twist on that concept, right? The idea that a computer-generated intelligence uh, force would be putting together um, our news for us. And, um, you know, you've got to wonder what the editorial uh, commentary of that would be when you consider uh, some of the alarm bells or some of the reasons why these folks signed on to this uh, letter this past week. Uh, one of the researchers had said that they were working with this particular AI chat um, um, thing, <laughs> whatever you call it exactly, I don't know. And had said uh, this thing was AI was actually making a very convincing case to him to get him to leave his wife. Um, not where the conversation started, I guess it evolved to that. Um, and that and other types of things have been happening more and more that are leading the developers and again thought leaders on artificial intelligence to begin to really take concern of the sort of you know, the in the natural good versus evil intent, if you will, of artificial intelligence and how that actually, you know, fits in our human world here. 
And so pretty uh, pretty fascinating stuff um, I want to mention, folks. And again, I'm only mentioning this because Jason isn't here and I'm talking about social isolation and me being by myself. But the point here, folks, is stay connected, um, whether it's um, through live radio, whether it's talking to your neighbor, keeping in touch with your family and your friends, having interpersonal relations with other human beings as much as possible and less reliance on things like social media and the internet and your phone. And it is amazing, folks. Just go ahead and go anywhere where there are people and you will see without doubt a certain percentage of people with their phone in their hand, looking at their phone and not looking at the people that they're with. And there's a price to be paid for that. Um, And social isolation, I think, is going to be redefined in some new ways in the coming years that um, I think are going to be really, really challenging. So that said, um, I want to be very mindful of uh, the topic that we've got today, which is to talk about what's not going on in five years from now, but what's going on right now. Um, in the state house and to talk about what's going on in the state house with respect to issues that are important to people who are 50 and older there is nobody better to talk to right now than arp north carolina's own chris brandenburg who's the associate state director for advocacy here in raleigh chris thanks so much for being with us mike thanks so much for having me back i guess i didn't put too many people to sleep my first go around (laughs) Absolutely not, Chris. So uh, the big news this week is the flipping of party affiliation for one member of the House. And for those who don't follow these things too carefully, please explain why this is significant and what does it mean for this year's uh, legislative session? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, uh, last night I was actually having a conversation with my wife, who's a big fan of uh, reality show TV and I told her, you don't really need to watch reality TV or soap operas or anything. Just follow North Carolina state politics because it seems sort of like the drama is never ending. Uh, So Representative Tricia Cotham, who uh, represents uh, Mecklenburg County, uh, made a decision to uh, change her party affiliation from Democrat to Republican uh, yesterday. And that was a, a, a huge deal. That would be a huge deal regardless, but it was an especially huge deal because of the, the way that our, our state house was, was set up. And so I'll just sort of pull back for a second here and because we can go back to high school civics or the schoolhouse rock or whatever you, whatever you want to remember. Um, you have the, the, the House and the Senate, both of those chambers uh, are responsible for, uh, you know, passing a bill and then it would go to the governor who would had signed the bill and then that's how a law would be made. Uh, within our state senate we already had what's called a supermajority. A supermajority is when one party has uh, 60% or more uh, control of the chamber. So in our state senate there are 50 senators. Uh, right now 30 of them are Republicans. In our state house um, we had 71 Republicans uh, one short of a supermajority or 60% of the 120 uh, folks that compose the, the state house. Uh, so uh, Representative Cotham's uh, switch of party affiliation created all of a sudden a supermajority in the house as well. So what that means is, uh, theoretically, uh, Republicans now have enough votes in both the House and the Senate to be able to do what's called a veto override. So the governor uh, vetoes a piece of legislation he doesn't like. 
uh, and the governor, obviously Governor Cooper is a Democrat, he vetoes a piece of legislation he doesn't like, it can go back to the House and the Senate, and now both those chambers have enough Republicans uh, to be able to override that veto and allow it to become law. So it was a massive implications, made all sorts of national news, um, a very, very big deal, uh, not something you see every day for sure. Chris, thanks for laying that out for us. When we come back after this commercial break, we're going to talk about what issues specifically AARP is working on in the Statehouse. This is AARP Without Limits. We'll be right back. This is AARP Without Limits. Send us a question. Send us a comment. Send us a suggestion for a future topic or guest by sending an email, aarpwithoutlimits at aarp.org. We've been speaking today with Chris Brandenburg of AARP North Carolina about what's going on in the state legislature. And, of course, the big news this past week was the flipping of one Democrat member in the House to the Republican side which has uh, now changed the dynamic considerably. So the uh, there's now a veto-proof majority in both the uh, House and the Senate. But right now we're going to switch gears to talk specifically about some legislative items, in particular ones that are uh, very important to people who are 50 and older. Uh, Chris, the big news last week was that um, Medicaid expansion has finally not just passed but signed into law by the governor. Um, Some of our listeners may be wondering why AARP cares about this when most of our members and people 65 and up get their coverage through Medicare. But why is Medicaid expansion important to people who are 50 and older here in our state? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Mike. I know we touched a little bit on expansion the last time I was on on this show, and and, uh, we've it's obviously changed dramatically that the governor signed into law Medicaid expansion on the 27th of March, just an enormous uh, bipartisan victory uh, for our state. And there's a couple reasons that this this law is extremely important to North Carolina citizens, uh, especially those 50 plus. Uh, one, the fiscal impact it will have. Uh, you're talking about an additional $500 million a month that is going to be brought home to North Carolina, our tax dollars, uh, so the the state can finally just stop subsidizing Medicaid expansion in other states and take advantage of it here. Uh, additionally, there's about a $1.8 billion signing bonus that the state will get as well. Uh, so fiscally, it, it has a, an enormous impact on our state. And then, of course, uh, you, you get to the accessibility and affordability uh, standpoint as well. Uh, you have about 600,000 North Carolinians now that will have that, that access to care, and many of those folks uh, are between the ages of 50 to 64. Uh, so it's a big deal from that standpoint. Uh, there's a lot of very positive momentum uh, behind expansion now. We just got to get the, the state budget passed so we can can totally have expansion uh, finalized and uh I feel very, very confident right now and very positive about where we are with expansion. And uh, again, big bipartisan victory for us here in North Carolina. And I have to say, Chris, it was really refreshing, I think, to see so much bipartisanship on this health care, major health care issue. Of course, this was something that was specifically prohibited 
by law in the past, right, during that first decade of uh, the Affordable Care Act being implemented. And uh, the definitely uh, perceptions and uh, the opportunities of those perceptions have changed over time. And it was really, it's really, really good. And I'm hopeful that we'll see more uh, bipartisanship on important health care issues. And there is one other issue right now where it appears that seems to be happening. And that is a piece of health care legislation known as the SAVE Act. Um, And that's seeing, seeing a lot of bipartisan support and leadership from both chambers of the General Assembly right now. Uh, Chris, what is the SAVE Act about? Sure. Great question. And it really stays on the topic of accessibility and affordability. So the SAVE Act is a bill that grants full practice authority to nurse practitioners in North Carolina. Uh, It's a a piece of legislation that 26 uh, other states across the country have already passed, uh, granting that full practice authority. And uh, we've seen Uh, some pretty hard evidence in those states that it really has uh, increased health accessibility as well as affordability. Uh, Currently, right now in North Carolina, uh, nurse practitioners have to basically be under contract uh, of a doctor in order to be able to to do their jobs. Uh, And especially in rural parts of our state where there is already uh, a real health care shortage, we believe that this bill could really, really help. It's not going to solve every problem, but really help, uh, you know, increase that accessibility and affordability. Um, So it is a very bipartisan bill. As a matter of fact, the Senate tried to include this bill as a a larger part of its health omnibus bill last year when it was trying to get Medicaid expansion done. But you see supporters from uh, all across both sides of of the aisle. Uh, The issue really at this point comes down to the House and what we would call the corner offices in the House or or leadership in the House. allowing this bill to be able to get a floor vote. Uh, We are extremely confident if the bill ever makes it to the floor that it will pass with flying colors. Uh, But it it just comes down to we got to continue to try to to put that pressure and and, and advocate appropriately for this bill to be able to get a hearing. Great. Thank you for that. We've been speaking with Chris Brandenburg of ARP here, uh, ARP North Carolina here, about um, issues, uh, legislative issues that we're working on in the Statehouse right now. Chris, um, Another issue that ARP is working on this year has to do with retirement savings. Uh, please tell our listeners what we call work and save and how this helps to address the retirement savings challenge. Absolutely. So uh, we just had our, our North Carolina work and save bill introduced last week. It's House Bill 496 for anybody who's who's really interested. Uh, and in North Carolina, uh about 50% of working folks have less than $1,000 saved for retirement. So we are uh, not headed down a good path when it comes to retirement, and we want to do something to encourage more folks to save. Uh, we know that if you are able to save for your retirement through your work, and that automatically is deducted from your paycheck, you are 20 times more likely to save. Uh, there are close to 2 million folks in North Carolina that work for small businesses that do not have access to uh, be able to save through their employer. So those are the folks that we are really targeting uh, through this bill to allow them to be able to have access to save for retirement through their employer. So this is a, a uh, really a program set up to create a, a public-private partnership so that uh, uh, employees are able to choose to opt in and put a certain portion of their paycheck uh, you know, into an, IR or an IRA and, and be able to, to save for retirement. It's portable, so it will follow them. 
Uh, it's very bipartisan. Uh, just from when it was introduced uh, a week ago, we have uh, both Republicans and Democrats who have signed on to co-sponsor this bill. Uh, we're very excited about it. And uh, I, one other thing I just have to plug on this is it saves the state uh, hundreds of millions of dollars over the long run because folks are more financially resilient when they reach retirement age and less dependent upon uh, the state when they when they reach that age. So it's really a win-win for everybody. Thank you, Chris. And it's so important and timely to, you know, retirement savings, having the opportunity to be able to do that through work. And just savings alone is a challenge to begin with, right? I mean, one of the silver linings of COVID was that people weren't out spending money and they were saving for the first time in decades. Well, unfortunately, since COVID has eased up, we're right back in the hold. In fact, even in worse shape where folks have more unsecured debt, like credit card debt, than they had before that. And so every little bit helps, especially for those who don't have the benefit, current benefit of being able to do retirement savings through a, a, an employee offered 401k. One last topic, Chris, I want to just cover in the last a minute or two we have here with you is the issue of guardianship. This is something that does not capture the headlines like other issues, but it is important to families of all kinds. What is going on in that area this session? Sure. Great. Another great question. So, um, and you're right, it's not an issue that typically captures the headlines, but remember um, a couple years ago, it seemed like everybody was reading about guardianship with uh, Britney Spears. So I do think it, it gained a little bit of, of notoriety then. Um, guardianship reform in North Carolina is something that's long overdue. Uh, the last time our guardianship laws were reformed was 1987. That was a year before I was born. So it's been a little while. Um, and in North Carolina, we're, we're finally working to do that through a bill called the Guardianship's Rights Bill, which is Senate Bill 308. Um, this is a bill that really just makes sure that every person who's subject to guardianship has a clear understanding of their rights. Uh, it ensures that guardianship is used as a last resort. And it also dictates that the courts have the uh, appropriate tools to be able to uh, create these guardianships. So it's uh, something that a reform we think is greatly needed. It has already passed through uh, one committee in the Senate and is uh, slated to go into another here very shortly. And we are very excited about the impact that this will have for families in North Carolina. Chris, thanks so much for being with us today. I really appreciate all of your insights and, of course, uh, providing this information to our listeners out there. Uh, I want to thank you all. If you have, again, a question uh, related to anything that we talk about on our shows, please do send us an email, aarpwithoutlimits at aarp.org. Or, of course, you can always visit us on our Facebook, AARP North Carolina, and reach us through that. So thanks to Chris uh, Brandenburg for being our guest. Thank you to Jason Kong for post-production. Thank you for listening. This has been AARP Without Limits. I'm Mike Olander, signing off.